It was a cold, wet Tuesday, November morning in 1980. I was a freshman in college. This was a time in my life where I had only a vague idea of what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. As a result, I was still living with my parents and driving to classes at the Mansfield Satellite Campus of Ohio State, which was located about 30 miles north of my little hometown of Mount Vernon. Being only 18, I had all the recklessness that characterizes that age. The car I drove was gigantic a 1972 two-door Buick Skylark with bench seats. She handled like a battleship and was a real gas guzzler, too. Her only redeeming quality was that when you floored it, there was this two-second hesitation while the four-barrel carburetor kicked in, and then your head would snap back from the incredible acceleration as twice as much gas as normal was just dumped into this huge 350 cubic inch engine. Crude, but she was very fast once she got going. With that beast of a car, the drive to Mansfield on mostly deserted State Route 13 took me only about 45 minutes. I had stayed up late finishing a political science paper for class the night before. The topic was on the increasing threat of nuclear annihilation. At that time, terms like the Cold War and mutual assured destruction were in our daily lexicon. There was even a doomsday clock where the top scientists of the world had determined that we were a mere seven minutes away from nuclear annihilation. To add to my anxiety, I'd received a C- on my first paper. This was evidently because I had extolled the virtues of a smaller, less intrusive governmental role in our lives. This was contrary to the point of view that my professor had held, and he made sure that, through his scathing comments, he corrected my naivety. On this paper, I had worked hard to write something that he would agree with, catering to this notion that the end of the world was imminent and that this was directly due to a flaw in the American political system. You see, Ronald Reagan had just defeated Jimmy Carter in the presidential election. My professor considered Ronald Reagan to be akin to Hitler. He was convinced that, with the Iran hostage crisis still unfolding, Reagan would lead us into a military confrontation with Iran, and that would draw in the Soviet Union. Then, poof, no more Mother Earth. This was what I was thinking about when there, a couple of miles north of Fredericktown, walking along the side of State Route 13, was a hobo. He was several miles away from anywhere. It was cold out, and the rain was coming down steadily. I knew better, but I pulled over anyway. Rolling down the passenger side window, I asked if he needed a lift. He seemed surprised at my question and then simply nodded a yes. He looked harmless, mid-sixties with an unshaven face peppered with white stubble and wearing overalls, a nondescript brown coat and a John Deere hat. He was cradling a brown paper grocery bag in his arms, which he sat down on the bench seat between us. Where are you going? I asked him. He answered, the same place you are, then continued, thanks for picking me up. I appreciate it, especially in the rain. I pulled back onto the road when the hobo sighed a deep sigh and asked, mind if I turn on the heater? I'm a bit chilled. I nodded a yes and then leaned forward, turning the fan on and increasing the heat. He lifted up his gnarled old hands to the vents to warm them as hot air began filling the car. I'm heading to Mansfield. 
I finally said to clarify my direction. His response? Well, then I'm heading to Mansfield, too. A few minutes of uncomfortable silence hung in the air between us. So where are you from? I finally asked to break the tension. I'm from here and there, he said. I was just coming up from New Philadelphia. Have someone to drop in on up this way now. Up which way? I asked. Where you're going, he said. I let the comment drop and returned my attention to the road. My mind also returned to this uncomfortable feeling that I had about my term paper. I really didn't believe what I'd written, and that was bothering me. The old man continued to rub his cold hands in front of the air vent. As I popped over a small hill, there before me was a horse-drawn wagon, which, just seconds before, had been pushed off the road by a group of Amishmen, and the other lane sat an empty horse and buggy. In a split second, the whole scene was behind us, barely giving enough time for our minds to register what we'd just seen. Woo-wee! the old man exclaimed. That was a close shave. If you'd been a few minutes earlier, you would have plowed right into those fellers in their wagon. Who knows how many of them boys you would have put in the hospital, not to mention what would have happened to you. I was stunned. A sudden and unexpected jolt of adrenaline coursed through my veins. In a blink of an eye, all my worries about grades and papers and nuclear annihilation just disappeared. Then I realized that I had instinctively slowed the car down to a crawl. The old man reached over into his grocery bag and pulled out two bottles of Genesee beer. Well, I think that calls for a toast, he said as he twisted off a bottle cap. I don't usually get these where I'm from, and avoiding a near-miss like that, well, that's worth celebrating. The old hobo handed me an open beer, then opened a second one for himself. He offered his beer up for a toast. We clinked our bottles together. I was still in a foggy daze trying to calm my nerves. Then, confused about his comment, I asked him, don't they carry Genesee beer in New Philadelphia? Which was another city in Ohio, less than an hour's drive from where we were at that exact moment. Oh, I suppose they do, he said, but I travel around quite a bit, go where the road takes me. I sipped my beer, mostly just being polite and wondering why I had even accepted it so early in the morning. He'd finished his first and opened a second. I couldn't help wondering what the hobo meant about going where the road takes him, about his mistaken belief on the rarity of Genesee beer in central Ohio, and why he was celebrating the fact that we had just almost crashed into a group of Amish men in their wagon. The old man then started talking, opening up, asking me about my life and my plans. I told him I was going to college because that was what I thought I was supposed to do. Perplexed with my answer, he asked me again, why was I going to college? Finally, I attempted to simplify my answer by saying that I just wanted to learn. He nodded and then asked, learn what? Whatever they teach me, I answered. And what is that, he asked. What they want, I responded. It was like talking to a two-year-old. Oh, I see, the old man finally concluded. They only teach you what they want you to know. He nodded his head in understanding. Then the old hobo launched into a philosophical speech about how it was good to learn what others teach but that I needed to make sure that I developed some wisdom to go along with that knowledge. That way, he said, I would be more able to make up my own mind about things and not just rely on what others wanted me to know. Intrigued, I asked him what he meant by that. 
He responded that he'd met a lot of educated people who, in his words, didn't have a lick of common sense. Then he referred to that near miss we had just 15 minutes earlier. His opinion was a lot of more educated people would attribute that near miss to just dumb luck or coincidence. But in his mind, there were no accidents. What do you mean? I pushed. The hobo's logic? If you hadn't been kind enough to pull over and pick up a bum walking alone in the rain, you'd have crashed right into that horse-drawn wagon. You think that stopping to pick me up was just a coincidence? I didn't respond, since I considered the question rhetorical. We both took another sip of beer. Then the hobo continued. These life experiences are important. You made a choice. You saw almost immediately the consequence of that choice. Avoiding that accident was a consequence, not a coincidence. You need to recognize that. That's how you're taught wisdom. We both kept sipping our beers as I pondered the weight of the old man's words. I realized he was a lot smarter than he first appeared. The old bum continued. Most of the time, it doesn't happen so quickly. See, a lot of education is training your mind to memorize things so that you can look for patterns and consistency. But that's not all there is. That's where many an intelligent man lose their way. When there's a delay and when things don't fit the expected. It's hard for someone who's too rational, too educated to piece it together. That's where wisdom comes in. Something like what just almost happened? Now, that's as clear as a sunny day. I glanced over and could see the old man was smiling and nodding a yes. After a few minutes of silence, the bum continued by telling me that, in his life, he'd seen how things were changing in the world. He went on to tell me how he'd seen people becoming more and more book smart, but being less able to think. Also, in his view, people were now just too withdrawn, too afraid, or just too self-centered to bother trying to help out an old bum like him. We pulled into the little hamlet of Belleville. On the far side of town, right along the Mohican River, three cars were stopped for some reason. Then I realized why. The state patrol had set up a safety checkpoint in the middle of the morning, on a Tuesday, in the rain, and on a little-traveled two-lane state highway. And there I was, a half-empty beer bottle in my hand, beer on my breath, and only 18 years old. To top it off, I had an overly talkative hobo who'd been drinking more than me sitting there in the car. I was mortified. The old man assessed the situation, then calmly said, Hmm, I didn't see that coming. Hand me your beer. He put our beers back in the paper grocery bag and put the bag between his feet. Don't worry, the hobo said. I'll take care of this. The patrolman approached the car, came right up to the window. He was so close that I could see the beads of water from the rain dripping off his plastic-covered campaign hat. He motioned for me to roll down my window. Good morning, gentlemen, the patrolman said with an official tone to his voice. I sat speechless, frozen with fear. I remember how I instinctively resorted to my tell, glancing downward instead of looking back at the patrolman. As I did, plain as day, I saw several Genesee beer bottle caps lying on the bench seat between me and the hobo. I knew that the patrolman had seen them too. Then. In a clear, crisp tone of voice, the hobo spoke. 
Good morning, officer. We're on our way to Mansfield to look in on someone who needs my help. Next, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the old man make a hand gesture, one that you would make when you needed to brush cobwebs away from your face. The officer paused for a second, nodded, then stepped back. He made a slight salute to the brim of his hat and replied, Well, then you gentlemen need to be on your way. We were waved through the checkpoint. I was stunned by what could only be described as a Jedi mind trick made famous by the first Star Wars movie. The phrase, These are not the droids you are looking for, replaced the visions I had of being arrested, of my parents being called to bail me out of jail, and of my future being crushed. The old man said nothing until after we were around the first bend up the road. Then he just couldn't hold it any longer and let out a rip-roaring, knee-slapping belly laugh. He laughed and laughed uncontrollably. Oh, don't worry, son. I'm not laughing at you, he said. It's just that sometimes things are just so unpredictable and it tickles me pink. Never fails to surprise me. Now after that, do you believe me? Do you understand what just happened? No, no you can't. Not yet. But hopefully, when you're older and you've had a few more experiences, those scales can fall off your eyes so you can finally see. Then, after a few minutes, the hobo calmed down and we drove the rest of the way to Mansfield in silence. When we approached the city square and he finally spoke up, he said, Well, that's about all I can do for you. You can just drop me off here. Thank you for picking me up in the rain. The hobo reached down to retrieve the grocery bag of Genesee beer. I think it's me who should be thanking you, I finally said. His wrinkled face lit up and he smiled broadly. I then asked, So where are you off to now? Ah, that other fellow I was referring to when I spoke to the patrolman? I need to go find him. God bless you now. I sat there in the car, watching as the old man hobbled off in the wet drizzle. He walked over to a garbage can and threw away the grocery bag that I knew still contained at least two unopened Genesee beers. Then he disappeared around a corner.